You know, last week we were talking about uh, being justified. And so, uh, you know, I think this is an important element for us as believers because I believe many times that the enemy um, really can do a number on believers simply because they don't know what the Bible says about them and who the Bible says that they are. And so uh, they're challenged simply because of an identity crisis. You know, we, we have terms like a midlife crisis, you know, where a guy who's not much older than me will go and buy a, a sports car. And we call that a midlife crisis. So I'm not quite there yet, but, you know, I don't plan on buying a sports car or some other weird item to fulfill myself. Why? Because those things never will. But, um, or try to regain my youth because it ain't coming back. Amen. In that way. And uh, so, uh, you know, but we have these terms. But many times I believe as, as believers, we have an understanding, maybe mentally, but not really in our heart. And so uh, last week, one of the things uh, that I was sharing with you was about, you know, and I'm going to go into a little bit more detail this morning about this, is what it means to be justified. Because when we understand what that actually means for us as believers, it will change the way we see ourselves. It will change the lies that we believe about ourselves from the enemy as well. And uh, many times I believe that we buy into uh, things that the enemy would whisper into our ears simply because we don't fully grasp what Scripture has to say for us. And so, um, you know, one of the statements that I shared with you last week, and I'm going to repeat it just because I like it that much, and I stole it from somebody else, so I'm not bragging on myself. I like the way somebody else said it, is that, you know, even in the idea, because I believe that we are to grow, and we're going to look at this, in our spiritual walk with the Lord, that it wasn't just all said and done complete. There are elements of it, and we're going to look at specifically how this plays out in our lives this morning. But just because we got just because we prayed and asked Jesus to be the Lord of our life wasn't the end of the process. Now eternally, yes. But how many of you are still breathing right now? How many of you want to experience the life of God now? I mean I like to think of it like this is I don't want to get to heaven and, and it feel and it feel weird to me. I want to I want to get to heaven and just be like, I know what this is. It's a lot better. But I know, I'm familiar with this atmosphere. I'm familiar with this life. It's not something foreign that now I have to go learn. I want to already experience it. Well, there are things that we can do in our life and the decisions that we make and the things that we go about that actually uh, play a part. But we have to understand scripturally who we are and where we are because we have an enemy. And, uh, you know, and so the statement that I shared last week was this, is that I'm a son by birth, not worth. I can't deserve to be loved by God. He loved me in the midst of my mess before I ever had one good thought about anything. Not even just about Him. About anything, God loved me. And God loved you. And so even this new life that we now live, this life, uh, uh, you know, you can call it the Christian life. You can call it whatever you want. The Bible says it's a new life. It's a different life. It's a whole, it's not an upgraded version of my old life separated from God. He gave me a new life. And so it had nothing to do with me. It had nothing to do with you. It had everything to do with God. You know, Jesus talked to Nicodemus and he wanted to know, how does one get eternal life? And Jesus says, you have to be born again. And Nicodemus, being an established gentleman, says, how am I going to be born again? Do I go back into my mother? And Jesus says, oh, no, this is this is a whole different concept. We're not talking about anything natural. This is a rebirth of the heart. And that's what we call salvation. You know, and so we shared this uh, last week about just this fact of that 
really seeing and understanding who God has called us. And I gave you the example last week, and we're going to uh, look at it a little bit more, about someone going to court before a judge. And we say that justice has been served. If someone was innocent and they were proven as innocent, justice was served. But if they were guilty and they were found guilty, justice was served. And really that word just being justified or justification is the way it's listed in much of Scripture is about being, really, it's about God making us innocent. It's not just about God forgiving me of my sin. It's God making me innocent like I had never sinned. And there's a big difference. That means that that old man is dead. It's gone. It's no longer there. It's no longer even in my conscience. Now, some of you probably struggle with that thought. Because you think, well, I still remember what I used to do. And I still remember... And the thing is, is we think because we remember it, God remembers it. And yet that's not what Scripture says. And so I want you to turn with me um, this morning. You can go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to look at uh, several verses here. About this. So we're going to read this out of the uh, New Living Translation. It'll be up on the screen for you. If I can get it up on my screen here. There we go. First Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 9. He says, Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? He says, Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin, who worship idols or commit adultery or, or male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or thieves or greedy people or drunkards or abusive... Or cheat people. None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Anybody feel encouraged by that? (laughs) That's not the most encouraging scripture in the world, is it? So he gives this long list. And he says, if you do any of these, you won't inherit the kingdom of God. In verse 11, though, he says, well, the New Living doesn't say it. Other translations say, add the word but there at the beginning of verse 11. It says, uh, some of you were once like that, but... God cleansed you. You were made holy and you were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Now, as believers, here's something that I just like to always throw out there. If you know somebody that's in one of these categories up top, just remember they're one moment away from being just like you. So therefore, that's why we have no reason to be prideful or to look down on anybody else. Why? Because in a moment... The Spirit of God can touch them. And in a moment, they will be just as justified as you are. That quickly. And it just takes just a moment. doesn't take God long. God will move in a moment. And and uh, I love how he says this because he reminds the church here that he's writing to and says, Hey, I just want to remind you, some of you were on that list. Some of you were destined to not inherit the kingdom of God. He says, but you were cleansed. Other translations say, but you were washed. That word, when you study it out, actually, it's specifically about the forgiveness of sins on the inside. It's where our heart actually releases the weight of the sin that we've committed. It's it's an inward washing that happens on the inside of our lives. Now, that's a done deal right now. How many of you are forgiven of sin? How many of you are thankful for that? I got less hands the second time. That's amazing. I thought I'd get more hands the second time. Let me ask that question again. How many of you have been forgiven of your sins? 
How many of you are thankful for that? Yes, yes absolutely. Absolutely. Why? Because, I mean, even if heaven wasn't the option, just the weight of sin and being free of that is amazing. Just not having the guilt and the shame that's associated with my bad decisions and my bad choices. And yet here it says that we have been cleansed or we've been washed. That's a fixed, done deal right now. God no longer sees my sin. You know, last week I shared uh, with you this and that, and it's the, you know, many people make it says, oh, I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. That's really an inaccurate scriptural, biblical statement because accurately it would be I was an old sinner who was saved by grace but now I've been justified so I'm no longer that old sinner I don't have to identify with that old sinner why because he's a dead man the Bible says that that man has died he's no longer living now he can rear his head up every now and then you got to kick him back down right that's the flesh That's that old man. So, I mean, Paul said, subdue the flesh. Does anybody not know what subdue means? Go on YouTube, type in the word subdue, and hit enter and see what comes up. And I'll give you a picture. Probably somebody's going to be getting tackled, taken down, some form of physical assertion upon somebody. Subdue our flesh. But when it comes to the area of sin and the enemy loves to come in... To us as believers, why? Because in Revelation, this is his description. Is he is the accuser of the brethren. It actually says that he stands before the throne of God accusing night and day. If he's going to accuse me before God, do you think he's going to accuse me before me? Do you think he's going to tell me things about me that aren't? Even true, but yet hoping that I would buy into it. Why? Because I understand that when I got saved, when I received the grace of God, that I was forgiven of my sins. The devil's just hoping I don't forget them. He's kind of banking on the fact that I will live in shame, that I would live in guilt, that I would live embarrassed because of my past. But think of it this way. You may be here today and you may have guilt because of your past decisions. If you've brought it under the grace of God, you're feeling guilty for something that God says never even happened. Now, you may say it happened and you may realize it in your mind. But in the eyes of Almighty God, who's the only judge that matters for all of eternity, it never happened. Now, that's hard for me to understand, like in my brain, in my natural carnal mind. I'm like, how is that possible? In my brain, I can't figure that out. That's why it requires faith. It requires faith that when I stand before God, he's not going to have my report cards of, you know, 2005 was a rough year for you. (laughs) You really struggled here. 2010, you were doing a little better. Go back to the 90s and let's not talk. It's like, oh, geez. <laughs> what do you call that? Like when you're a minor and you get a record and it goes away when you turn 18. What do you call that? Like everything expunged. There you go. It's like, Lord, can we just forget about those years maybe? But yet I could stand before God thinking that and he would say, what happened? 
That's what that word washed actually means. It's a complete removal and a doing away with. And yet the enemy wants to continually beat us up with our past. Why? Because if we're continually thinking about the past, looking in the past, guess what we're not doing? Living in the present or looking to the future. He keeps us tied to the, what has happened. He doesn't have to worry about the rest. Why? Because the weight and the hindrance of that sin will bind us and will keep us bound. Now it goes on here. So he says that you were cleansed. So that's step one. When we get saved, number one step is we get cleansed. We get forgiveness of sins. Complete washing, complete removal of our, in our hearts. That's the work of God. The second part, he says, you were made holy. Other translations say that you have been sanctified. Now, being washed is a done deal. Sanctification is an ongoing process. Yes, it started in a moment. But sanctification has to do with our flesh. It has to do with this life. It has nothing to do really with eternity. It has to do with how much of the life of God that we experience in the right now, the today. Why? Because when I live according to the ways of God that I see laid out in Scripture, guess what happens? The life of God begins to pour into my life. When I walk in light of Scripture, guess what happens? Peace floods my mind. Why? Because I take no anxious thought. I'm not worried about anything. Why? Because I put my mind, Philippians 4, 6, 7, and 8, I put my mind on things above. And I realize that I have a Father. That's part of sanctification. It's learning to trust in the Lord. That's part of it. That's one area. Sanctification could be in your thought life. It may be a thought uh, pattern that you have believed for a long time that... As Romans 1 and 2 talks about that you need to be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. The changing of your thoughts. How you view yourself. How you see yourself. That's part of sanctification. Maybe in the words of your mouth. That's part of sanctification. Let me take it a step further. By the jokes that you find funny. You know, there's a famous quote that says, you can always tell the content of your character by what you find humorous. I know I just stepped on some toes, but I'm sorry. (laughs) Jesus is the healer. (laughs) But I can tell you this, before I was saved, I laughed at things that now, they're very offensive and repulsive. There were things that I said that I look back on and I'm like, what an idiot I was. And I'm thankful that God doesn't remember those things. But yet, if I want to experience all that God has for me in this life, I've actually got to walk through sanctification. Now it goes, let me read you a couple things here. Sanctification, this is the way I would say this. So step one is that we're washed, we're cleansed, which we call forgiveness of sin. Sanctification, which that's inward. Sanctification is what I would say is outward. In other words, it's the life that I now live. It's what other people can actually see. Let me say, is that my sins may be forgiven, but people are going to know that my sins have been forgiven and I've been changed because I'm walking out sanctification. That's what people see. So one of the things, one of the definitions about the word sanctification is this, is that it's a disconnecting from this world. Not that I'm... You know, pie in the sky, I'm oblivious to what's going on. But no, I live under a new set of rules. 
As a believer, I now live, the Bible says that I'm now no longer a citizen of this earth. I'm now a citizen of heaven. So I'm just a visitor here. My real home is in heaven. Your real home is in heaven. So part of sanctification is not living like the world, not talking like the world, not thinking like the world, not reacting like the world. I mean, we have trouble just like the world does, but I don't face it the same way. I'm not going to lose my peace and my joy because I face adversity. I'm going to lean into my faith and I'm going to trust in my God that he's going to work on my behalf. That's how we, so that's part of sanctification. We walk through trials differently. One commentator wrote this and he says, The believer participates with the Spirit in a process of transformation that continues until glorification. He says, The goal of sanctification is to progressively conform to the image of Christ. So in other words, when does sanctification end? When you get your new body. That's when sanctification, the process actually stops. Why? Because you will be complete, whole, lacking nothing at all. But it says, and it, even what he says, is it, um, it's a transformation all the way up until glorification. So that's step two. So number one is we get washed, we get forgiveness of sin. So this is all what happens during salvation, by the way. So this isn't three separate things. These are all things that are happening during that moment that one person gets saved. When you got saved, all of this was transpiring. Now, we get to walk out one. One of them is already a fixed deal. The last one is what it says here, and it goes on, and it says that you were made right, or you were justified by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. That word justified simply means this. One of the most simple definitions I can give you. It means that you're declared innocent. It means that you were guilty in the courtroom of heaven before God. But yet, because of Christ, think of it this way. If if God is the judge, your attorney is Christ. Christ will argue your case for you. I'm sure he's a pretty good lawyer. And I'm sure he's got his ducks in a row. And I'm sure he's got a mountain of evidence called his blood and his body. And he's got a book called the book of life that our names are written in. It's like, Father, I would like to submit exhibit A. It's my blood that was shed. It was my, here's number, here's B, which is my body, which was broken. Like submit the book of life as evidence. See, turn the page, blah, blah, blah. That's their name, right? There. I circled it for you. Here's the evidence that says that they have now been justified by my sacrifice. Jesus declares us to be innocent, and the Father echoes that. Innocent, clean, perfect before the Father. Now, I don't know about you, that's hard for me because I know me. Right? Right? And I'm like, how can I be perfect? I'm not perfect right now. But I am justified right now. Justification does not equal to perfection in the here and the now. And yet many times we can fall into the trap that says, well, I've still got things going on in my life. But in the eyes of God right now, done deal, fixed forever, you are justified. You're innocent before God. Here's another definition of this word justified. It, it was this. is 
that you're declared free of the guilt of sin and its penalty and placed in right standing with God. So even the guilt and the penalty that came with sin, we've been set free from. But see, the enemy wants to come and he'll whisper lies like, Oh, well, you, you know, this is happening in your life because of what you did before you were saved. Anybody else ever heard that whisper? Oh, well, this is just the fruit of that seed that you sowed when you were being dumb. Now, I believe in the principle of the seed, but I also believe in the power of the blood of Christ. Amen. And I know which one is more powerful. So that even in my dumb times, God's grace is enough. God's mercy is enough. His blood is enough for us. So really, even being justified, there's an understanding. Really, these all go together. And when we understand them properly, it will actually change the way we live, change the way we think, change the way we see ourselves. Why? Because many people understand that I got forgiven of my sin, but they don't understand sanctification and they definitely don't see themselves as being justified. See, sanctification is a response when I understand that I have been justified. Why do I want to grow? Why do I want to mature in my relationship with the Lord? Why do I want to to be more and and be really who God has called me to be? Because I understand that He has called me justified. And as a response to that, now I want to apply the Word of God to my life and to my heart. And I want to be continually changed until the moment that I stand before Him. Sanctification is my response to the forgiveness of my sins and to Him calling me right before Him. That's the the motivation and and the drive behind it. It's not, well, I've just got a checklist and I've got to be better. No, it's an understanding that I can't be any of this without God's ability in me. Even sanctification is not in my own strength. It's not in my own ability. It's by the work and the help of the Holy Spirit. It's the only way it can come about. Why? Because the flesh is weak. We looked at this last week quite a bit, talking about the law, the Old Testament. You know, it starts with the Ten Ten Commandments, but there were lots of laws. There was legalism. And many people still live under an old broken system today, thinking, well, I'm saved by grace and I understand that, but if I don't do this and I don't do this and I don't do that, then God's upset with me and I'm not in the good graces of God and I don't know if I can really pray and I don't know if He would really listen. And so you live as a new creature trying to live under old rules. And the law was flawed. Why? Because it landed upon human flesh to do it. Which is impossible. I mean, if you think it's not, just go read just the Ten Commandments and see which one you broke this week. I've had a pretty good week. But I'm sure I can find one or two that I've probably not measured up to. Just just ten. That's God's top ten list. There's a lot more. Yet the Bible says that we're not to live under that old system anymore. We're to now live a life of faith, of trust in God. You're like, well, I don't feel justified. 
Who said anything about feeling? You know, when I got married, it took me a while to feel married. I mean, I stood up in front of a bunch of people. I put a ring on my finger and it felt pretty weird. I'm like, man, this, I didn't like it. I don't like jewelry, really. I don't like things on my neck. I, don't like, I just don't like jewelry that much. And it took me a while. I mean, we're on our honeymoon. We get back and I'm like, we're married. This is weird. I didn't feel married. But I was married. Right? I don't know how long it took me to figure out or to make it feel like I was married. Took a little while. Did it change the fact that I was? No, we were married. Well, the same is true when it comes to this. It has nothing to do with how you feel. It has to do with faith in the word of God. Is God's word true in your life? Yeah, but you don't know what my week looks like. Okay, you're right. But I do know what the word of God says today. And I know what it said on Thursday. And I know what it said on Tuesday. Because the word didn't change. And God doesn't change his mind. And he says that you've been justified. You've been made right in the eyes of God. Galatians chapter 2. Galatians 2.15 He says, you and I are Jews by birth. Now, that doesn't apply to any of us. We're in the second part of the verse. Not sinners like the Gentiles. So, if you want to know what the Apostle Paul looks at you as, he calls us all sinners. But he's talking to a bunch of Jewish people. He says, you and I are Jews by birth, not sinners like the Gentiles. Yet, we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ. Not because we have obeyed the law. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. Even if we could keep the law perfectly, it still wouldn't make us justified before God. That's the flaw of the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. Even perfection wasn't enough. It required faith. It does, even currently, requires faith. It's not about uh, our life and our actions. We're not trying to earn anything. Sanctification, yes, we mature. Yes, we grow. The things we struggled with a few years ago, we probably shouldn't be struggling with today. We should be maturing and growing in who God has called us, created us, made us to be. We ought, let me say it another way. We ought to be developing I mean, there are some things I'm going to let my son slide on right now. But in 10 years, not so much. He better not be wearing a diaper. I'm just, he better develop. There are some things that we let slide right now. Why? Because he's just not old enough. He's not mature enough yet. But I expect him to develop. I mean, I'm looking forward to the day he develops to the point where he can feed himself. Praise the Lord. I'm thirsty. You know what a fridge is? <laughs> That's the way my mom raised me. <laughs> I'm hungry. There's a sandwich over there. You can have anything you want. 
I ain't getting up. I have provided it. Now you get to go make it. I look forward to that. Well, we are to develop in our life with the Lord as well. I mean, the the apostles actually wrote and says, Hey, I, I would like to talk to you at a deeper level, but I can't because why? You're at infancy stage. You're like babes in the faith. And I would that you would grow up so that I could actually teach you the more meaty or the, the heavier things of the Word of God. And yet he had to tell the whole church, but you ain't ready for it. You're not developed. He actually talks about developing your senses. The Amplified says, what is that? Sanctification. So we walk out this faith in the process of sanctification. Drop down to verse 19. Now this is Paul writing, and I don't know if you're aware of this, Paul was a Pharisee. He was also part of the strictest sect of the Pharisees. And he even says it this way, of a Pharisee, I was better than them all. I mean, if somebody who followed the law and knew it, Paul says, I was the best. Like, I'm the Michael Jordan of Phariseeism. I am the greatest of all time. No discussion. Me, Paul, I'm him. Before, I want to be like Mike, it was I want to be like Paul. Right? How many of you remember that commercial? A few of you. So he says in verse 19, give you a little context there. He says, for when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. What did the law do? It proved sin in our lives. It had a purpose, but it was still flawed. Why? Because it brought about condemnation. It just made us aware. You got problems. You displease God. He, and so Paul makes this statement. He says, so I died to the law. The law brought condemnation. So I died to the law. He says, I stopped trying to meet all its requirements so that I might live for God. So I'm just going to put this before you and you can think about it. But if you're trying to live according to old law, old rules, it will choke out the life that God has for you to live right now. This is what Paul said. I'm not making this up. The greatest of all time, when it comes to the Pharisees, arguably the greatest apostle Wrote more of the New Testament than is even described about with Jesus himself. Says that he died to the law because it brought condemnation. So that he could live for God. If you live in a place of condemnation, it will hinder your maturity and your growth and your walk with the Lord. You cannot live in that place and expect God's life to continue to flow in a greater measure. It's not going to happen. Why? Because it's in here. Condemnation is in the mind. And if, and if we allow the enemy to whisper lies to us continually, we will continue to believe in those things that he uses to condemn us with. Well, that's just who I am. No, that's who I was. I'm no, I, I'm no longer identified by that old man. There may be temptation that comes into your life and you're like, oh, well, man, you know, that's just a weakness in my, in my life. No, it's not. That was a weakness in your life. Just give you an example and by no means is this 
I'm just going to use this as an example. I've used this one before, but there's several I could use. Well, men in my family are just angry. It's just who we are. No, it's who you were. I'm in a new family now, and I have a new family lineage. And I have new... I I don't have generational curses anymore. I have generational blessings from my Father in heaven. Now, are you going to have to deal with some things in your mind? Yeah, why? Because you spent 30, 40, 50 years thinking a certain way. That's where sanctification comes in. That's why I have to walk in light of what the Bible says. Why? So that now I can live. How many of you know if I'm always angry, I can't live in peace? You know, those don't run together. They're antagonistic. They're like two magnets that are repelling against each other. Anger comes in, peace leaves, joy leaves. Anger leaves, peace and joy can come back. They can't both coexist. Paul goes on here in verse 20, he says, My old self has been crucified with Christ. So where did your old man die? On the cross. You're like, I wasn't even alive yet. That's God in His wisdom making a way for you before you even needed it. I died with Christ over 2,000 years ago. He goes on and says, It is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. I live this life, not pie in the sky, not, not ignoring circumstances. I live this life by trusting, or by, you can say it this way, by faith in the Son of God. I live this life now. I'm going to live successfully the life that God has for me, that God has prepared by faith. Well, I don't feel justified, but I believe I am. God, you said that I'm justified. And so I'm going to believe your word over over what I believe or or what I perceive. Your word is true for me. And so because you say I'm justified, I say that I'm justified. I don't need to be, I'm innocent now. I'm not guilty any longer. The weight of those things is not hanging over me. In verse 21, he goes on and he says, I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. He says, for if I keep the law, or if, for if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. Christ had to die. There, the Bible even says in the Old Testament that there is no remission of sin without the shedding of blood. So it was necessary. But we don't want to treat the grace of God meaningless either. In other words, treating it flippantly is common. We want to give it honor in our life. We want to give it reverence in our life. Now, I'm not going to take a lot of time with these next couple of verses, but I still want to read them to you. It's over in Titus chapter 3. I'm going to read this out of the HCSB. It'll be up there on the screens for you. But you can jot it down, but I will I don't have time to really unpack this, but I still want to just share it with you. He says some things a little differently, and I like the way this translation worded some of it. Titus chapter 3, verse 3, he says, For we too were once foolish. Anybody else foolish ever in here? Were you once foolish? I'm not foolish anymore, and ever, 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 ever. But I was once foolish, you know. He says, Were you once foolish or disobedient? 
deceived? Were you enslaved by various passions or pleasures? Living in malice and envy, hateful and detesting one another. It's another not so fun list. You feel encouraged by that? Just right there. Just Man, Lord, I thank you for Titus 3 verse 3. Just, man, that does something good for my heart. Said nobody ever. Verse 4, he says, But when the goodness of God and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us, not by works of righteousness that we had done, but, but according to His mercy. He says, Through the washing of regeneration and the renewal by the Holy Spirit. Now that word regeneration and renewal there, where it says, Through the washing of regeneration, the renewal of the Holy Spirit. Both those words. As I was studying this out, regeneration and renewal both had this, this common word, renovation. Jesus came to renovate, to change. You know, I'm in the process of renovating a home right now. If you would have seen it a few months ago, <laughs> it looked pretty bad. It's starting to look pretty good, starting to, getting there. What was falling apart has now been rebuilt to the point that you would never know the past. You would have no clue as to what the state of it was. Why? Because some renovation has taken place. There were some old walls that are gone completely. You walk in there, you'd never know. There's rooms that have been added that were never there. Completely different. That is the regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. Where people would say, I knew you. But I don't know who you are now. Like I I, I know your past. I know your story. I know your history. Something has happened to you. And you are different. That's called regeneration. The renewal by the Holy Spirit. Yes, I was broken. Yes, I was damaged. Yes, I I, I had all my issues. And I may not be perfect today, but this much I know is that Jesus came in and did a work in my life. And He renovated that which was torn down and tore apart. That He came in and, and rebuilt those things that had been given up on. Let me just say this. I feel impressed by the Lord. There are areas of your life that you may have given up on, but God has not in you yet. There are dreams and desires and things that, that, that you used to have in you deep. And God wants you to know this morning that He's still renovating. He still comes in and does a work in our life. And so just because a dream may seem like it's out of reach and that it's now gone and that opportunity is now passed, God wants you to know He still views you as justified and that calling is just as applicable today as it always was. But it's going to require faith to bring it about. Now I'm going to stop and say this just because I feel led to. Because I don't do it a lot. And I only do it. I believe that was a word for somebody. You're like, well, I, I thought when you gave a word, somebody had to call them out. No, not necessarily. Because that was not planned. That's the unction of the Holy Spirit. But I believe that is 
for at least one person, maybe several. Just because that dream may have seemed to die, it is not dead. You've believed the lie of the enemy that says that can't come to pass anymore. Said who? The God who made the promise? Or the devil who's a liar telling you that it can't? You do know how to know if the devil's lying, right? Is he talking? He is a liar. If he's whispering, you're like, well, how do you know if it's the devil? Is there condemnation? Do you feel better after the conversation? Do you feel better after the thought? Or do you feel weighed down? Do you feel guilt? Do you feel shame? Are you embarrassed? That's not the Lord. Amen. And I shared this last week. God does not ignore sin, but he did solve sin. That's, what, that's how we become justified because God solved it. He took care of it. Let me get back to Titus chapter 3. Verse 6. He says, He poured out His Spirit on us abundantly. Abundantly. Not scarcely, not a little bit, not a sprinkle. No, it's like a flood. God poured out His Spirit on us abundantly through Christ Jesus our Savior. So that, having been justified by His grace, that we might become heirs with the hope of eternal life. This life is not my end. I have somewhere else to go. That's why the Bible says is that when, when one passes in this life, we don't grieve like the world. We grieve differently. Why? Because we have a home made by our Savior. Man, is that not what he told the disciples? I'm going to prepare a place for you. So we have that hope that, what, that we would become heirs. That it's our inheritance in eternal life. Here's a familiar, another familiar passage of Scripture. But over in Romans chapter 8. Read this out of the New Living. A lot of us know verse 1. But I want to read it in context. This morning. Now in chapter 7 of Romans. Paul's talking about the struggle of sin, which we all identify with. I know what to do, but I don't do it. I know I want to do this, and I can't do it. I know what's right, but I do wrong. I mean, he's like, and he ultimately says, what's wrong with me? He says, I'm a wretched sinner. That's, his, that's my synopsis of what Paul wrote in all of chapter 7. But in verse 25, he says, I thank the Lord that Jesus Christ is my answer to my sinful nature. So because of all of that, in, in chapter 8, verse 1, you do know the Bible wasn't written in chapter and verses, by the way. These were letters, so they just continued. So we did it. So I can tell you, go to Romans 8. <laughs> so you know where we're at. It helps us to be able to read them. Romans 8, 1 says, So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ. Another translation says it this way, and I like it. It says, No condemnation now exists for those who are in Christ. No condemnation now. Right now. There's no condemnation that should stand in our life and in our mind. But guess what? For many of us it does. You're like, oh, but you know, I understand I got saved by grace. And God forgave me and all of those things. And I understand that. But, but I was a believer and I knew what I was doing was wrong. And I did it anyways.
Is the grace of God that saved you not enough to handle that too? Is somehow are we a different level that now the same grace that worked then won't work in this moment? See, the truth is, is that you've bought into a lie. Now, I'm not excusing behavior. Let me remind you. We were talking about sanctification just a little while ago. It means we need to grow up in our faith. So, yeah, we need to mature. We need to grow. We need to develop in who we are. But even in my development, I refuse to accept condemnation. I missed the mark, but I'm pressing on. I refuse to identify with my mistakes. Why? Because right now there's no condemnation. I don't accept it. Devil, you can try. See, when there's condemnation, there's not confidence. Confidence is important before God. Let me keep reading. So, so there's, there's no condemnation for those who are... Belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to Him, the power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. He says the law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of sinful nature. The Amplified Bible here adds this. and It says uh, of sinful flesh. And I like the little added note that it adds. It says that the flesh is man's nature without the Holy Spirit. How do you deal with your flesh? You get the influence of the Holy Spirit on it. Right now. You're like, oh, well, you know, I just, I just say these things. I get frustrated. I get under stress. And I just fly off the end. Then get the presence of the Holy Spirit on that aspect of your life. That's how you handle the flesh. The presence of the Holy Spirit. He says in the second part of verse 3, So God did what the law could not do. He sent His Son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us. That's a powerful statement. God declared an end to to sin's power over us. By giving His Son as as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement... Of the law could be fully satisfied. So justice could be served. Who no longer follow. So that the requirement of the law could be fully satisfied for us. Who no longer follow our sinful nature. But instead follow the spirit. He says those who are dominated by the sinful nature. Think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit. Think about things that please the spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the spirit controls. Or. Letting the Spirit control uh, your mind leads to life and peace. Now, I know a lot of people get weird when it says control. It's influence. It's the, it's the same word. It's just the way they translate it. Like, I don't want to be controlled to anybody. Well, you were a slave to sin, so you were being controlled by sin. It's kind of like when the Pharisees told Jesus, we've never been a slave to anybody. Have you read your own history? You've been a slave to everybody. Go read the Old Testament. You'll see it. God frees them back into bondage. God frees them back into bondage. I mean, it's just like a broken record in the Pharisees. We've never been enslaved to anybody. When they made the statement, they were under Roman occupancy. Like, hey, pull a quarter out. Whose who's name, whose face is on it? Oh, it's Caesar. That's right. You're under bondage right now. 
See, it's a good thing Jesus wasn't sarcastic like me. Because that's what I would have said. That's what I would have said. I'm just saying, I mean, he was a lot more gracious than me, apparently. Praise God. So either sin has an influence in your life, or the Holy Spirit has influence in your life. And we want to get the Holy Spirit on as much of our life as possible. In every area. I don't want to have areas of my life that I keep reserved back from the Lord. I want to be an open book. God, if there's anything in my life that's displeasing to you, point it out to me. Holy Spirit, help me to see it, but also give me the wisdom to walk through it. So that I can be who you've called me to be. That I can overcome those areas of my life. But I do it from a place of understanding that my sanctification does not affect my justification. I go, what do you mean? Where I'm at in my maturation with the Lord does not affect me being innocent before God. My justification does not hinge upon my sanctification. My justification is a fixed, finished product right now before the Lord. Your justification is a fixed, finished deal right now before the Lord. Now, the degree of the life of God that I get to experience right now in this life has everything to do with sanctification. Everything. But you need to know who you are. You need to know what God says about you. You need to know how God sees you. Because what happens many times people forget and and really don't understand what it means to be justified before God. And therefore they're trying to earn God's forgiveness. They're trying to earn the grace of God because of their sanctification. Is that not the law? That is the law. Keep the commandments. So you've got to understand is that Jesus, when he said it is finished, he wasn't joking. Justification was finished in that moment for us. So now, and and when I understand what justification means and being justified before, what does that do? It gives me now confidence to go to the Lord and say, Lord, I blew it again. And I'm sorry. I'm not condemned. I'm not afraid. But I'm owning what I did. And I'm I'm saying, Lord, I recognize that I've missed what you have for me. And what I want to do is to say that I'm sorry. And Holy Spirit, I invite you into this area of my life to now help me. But I'm not coming afraid. I'm not coming embarrassed. Why? Because God sees me perfect in his eyes so I don't have to shrink back and pull back he sees us as innocent see and it it gives you a confidence and the enemy would love nothing more than for you to live in a place of condemnation because it robs you of that confidence before the Lord I mean that's why I make statements and you know and it's a kind of off topic but many of you have heard, heard, heard me make this statement is that when I pray things happen I'm not praying that based off of my sanctification I'm declaring that based off of my justification 
It's not how good I did this week if God's going to answer my prayer. It's how good Jesus did by hanging on that cross and going to that grave and rising up and now He's seated in the place of authority for me. That declares me as justified before God. Not to do with me and Darren had a fight. I kicked the dog. I thought something I shouldn't have thought and wanted to tell somebody something in traffic. None of that has anything to do with if God will hear my prayer. But yet many people live that way. Well, I just, I'll wait till next week and pray about that. I just had a bad week. Really? If that's a thought that you have, I would encourage you. Go back and, and, and really read through these verses. Let this revelation come alive on the inside. Information does not equate to revelation. There's a big difference. You can hear me preach something. You can hear a few scriptures and you walk out the door and you're like, well, that was a great message, man. I feel great. Until tomorrow morning when you screw up and condemnation comes. You need a revelation. In other words, your eyes need to be open to the reality that God says you are innocent. Right now. The enemy can come and he'll whisper lies. Devil, you're too late. I have an understanding that the Word, my Savior, my Lord, my God, says that I'm innocent before Him right now. That old sinner, dead. I may not be proud of every decision, everything that I do, but this much I know. I am not a finished product. God is working on me. But I know when I get to my finish line that there is perfection and glory there waiting for me. And in that moment, I'll be perfect. But I'm not going to live in condemnation till I get there. I'm going to live in confidence before a holy God that He calls me holy. That is powerful. When we understand that and can see and, and really grab a hold of that into our heart, how God sees you right now. It'll give you confidence before Him. Just as the Apostle let us come boldly to the throne of grace. Why? So that we can receive help in our time of need. Come boldly. Come boldly. Come confidently to the throne of grace. I ain't trying to beg God. I ain't trying to slip in the back door. God, if you could just throw me a little tip, I'd appreciate it. I'm going to come boldly into the throne of grace. Why? Because I need grace. I'm not sheepishly, quietly. Oh, God, if you want to. God, you said in your word, you would give me grace if I needed, and I need grace right now. You call me justified, and so I'm here because of that. I can stand in your very presence right now. Because of what you've declared about me, and so now I'm here and I'm asking for help. I need the help of the Holy Spirit in my life. So I don't have to back off. I don't have to be ashamed. But I have a revelation and an understanding of who I am. Who I've been made to be. But you've got to have that revelation for you. And the only way you're going to get it is by meditating on on these words, these scriptures. Getting them deep into your heart. So that you can grab and really get a full picture of the way God sees you right now.